I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. Will's latest article, Why Florida's Defense Has Been So Bad Recently and Can It Bounce Back This Season? Uh, he's been asked that question a lot this offseason. He takes an uh, attempt at answering that question. Russ Calloway, got some information on him from Billy Napier this week. Uh, two hires in the strength and conditioning program. Really, one's a promotion. One's uh, an old face and coming back home here. And Ron Roberts was interviewed by Sean Kelly this past week. We'll talk about him a little bit and his role with the defense this season. Will, before we dive in, magazine time. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a bunch of people recently ask me about our 2024 preseason magazine, whether we're doing it this year. We absolutely are. Um, we are looking for advertisers, and we're looking to really put out broad distribution this year, um, both uh, both through internet and digital sales, but also hard copies are going to be hopefully sitting in your supermarket um, sometime soon in, in the not-too-distant future, launching right before Memorial Day so everybody can have it while they're on the beach, also um, having it there uh, in, in time for Father's Day, so people can order it for their dads, or you know, dads can order it for their sons. However, they want to do it back and forth there for Father's Day. But uh, yeah, it's going to be same as last year. We had seventy pages, Florida Gators specific only. Um, you know, so you you get these preseason magazines; they're great, right? You get Phil Steele's magazine, you get Lindy's magazine; they're awesome. But you end up with maybe a page or two on your favorite team, and we're doing seventy pages on your favorite team, the Florida Gators. So, like I said. We're looking for advertisers. If you'd like to advertise, um, space is actually filling up pretty quick. But if you'd like to advertise, there's still some spots left. Reach out to me, Will, at readingreaction.com or at Will Miles SEC on X. Um, either one of those can get you in contact with me, and we can send over the media kit, send over pricing, and figure out the best way to hook up our business with your business. Because, um, again, we, we, may, we may be a great fit. We may not be. We'd love to explore it with you. So uh, if you haven't reached out yet, this is another call. Come on. Go ahead and reach out. The worst thing that we can do is say no, shake hands, and, and leave as friends, but you've at least explored the possibility. And, and look, we're a small business. We're trying to grow here. Um, and we'd like the ability to expand. We mentioned, we mentioned, I think, about a month ago, we We'd love to do this for all the Power 5 teams out there, have preseason magazines for everybody, and you guys can be a small part of that if you come out and start advertising with us now. Get in on the ground floor. So that's Will at ReadingReaction.com or at WillMilesSEC on X. Get a hold of me. Send you the media kit, send you pricing information, and uh, we can go from there. Yep, 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 yep. Working on the layout right now. Uh, and, Will, I believe you even finished uh, an article doing a deep dive into last season's that's for one of your articles so we're making progress on this folks it's going to be here before we know it uh, a lot of fun and we enjoy the project uh please contact will at will at re will at readingreaction.com if you have any interest all right let's dive right into two bits here uh will you went real subtle with this title for your new article uh this is why florida's defense has been so bad recently uh, you've been asked this question a lot by people that you talk to. It just, hey, what's been going on? What this is something we've talked a lot about on the show, obviously, over the last few years as well. And basically, is there hope here heading into 2024? I, I know we'll talk about Ron Roberts at the end, maybe some different different voices on that defense this year. Well, you do have some good news here. You said, while the answer to that question is yes, I think it's important to talk uh, about why Florida's defense has been so awful for the past four years. So you did a deep dive here before getting into why you think it can improve this season. 
Yeah, so that title was actually toned down from the way most people ask me. Usually it's like, why does our defense suck? Uh, <laughs> so I decided that probably wasn't the right the right headline there. So what I did was I looked at the top five defenses in the SEC for the last four seasons and went through pretty painstakingly, actually, and looked at the PFF rankings at the different positions. So defensive line, interior, defensive line, edge, linebacker, safety, and cornerback. And what happens is some trends really start to emerge. And the trends you see really are that the edge rusher and in particular, the safety in the cornerback are critical to having a top five defense, that you're not going to have a top five defense without having those three positions being at least average, if not elite. You can get away with a linebacker who's not that great. You can get away with a defensive line that's not great. What you can't get away with is not having an edge rusher who's at least average. And really, if you look at the top defenses, they have elite safety play and elite corner play, not just not just sort of eh, average. And and that's where it shouldn't be a surprise given that, um, you know, given that college football has gone in the passing direction. Now, the interesting thing is if you look at, if you look at overall, the PFF rankings for safeties for top five SEC defenses is 72.3 and the top for cornerbacks is 72.9. So around 72, 73 is where that rating has come in for Florida. <laughs> the safeties for the last four years have rated 60, 56, 66.7, and 62.4. So really 10 to 15 points on the PFF rankings below standard um, or below at least what a top five defense would be. And then, then you look at corner, 61.2, 62.5, 65.5, 67.3. So somewhere between five to 10 points below the standard um, of, of what a top five defense in the SEC is. Florida's actually been pretty close when it comes to edge. They haven't had outstanding edge play. Play, but they've had good enough edge play given these statistics. They haven't had great defensive line play, but other than 2020, the defensive line has been good enough. Linebacker has been a problem, but what you find when you look at the top five defenses, that's actually true for just about everybody other than Georgia. Georgia's the only one who really has an above average linebacker core um, for the last four years. And so what it boils down to is safety and corner. That That is what it boils down to. That is what is critical in my mind for Florida to really move things forward. And that's why there's some good news, right? You've got Asa Turner coming in as a transfer. His PFF grade was 72.4 last season and 75.6 in 2021. He went down to 67.5 in 2022. But basically, you're getting at least – average safety play from Asa Turner next year if, if he can do exactly what he's done before. DJ Douglas had a PFF grade of 70.7 last year at Tulane in 652 snaps. So again, you brought in two guys who are right around that standard for a top five defense. And that doesn't even mention that Jordan Castell was at 75.6 last year as a true freshman. We would expect him to improve. So if he ends up being 80, 81, 82 with these two guys really providing serious depth at that position, all of a sudden Florida's giant weakness at safety that has been an enormous weakness now for four years becomes a strength. And then you got to have people step up a corner, right? Triquez Bridges coming in as a transfer there. He was good two years ago at Oregon, but not very good last year. We'll see what happens. Jason Marshall needs to take a step up as well. Um, and certainly just having Devin Moore on the field more often. Moore's been really, really good when he's been out there, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. If they can keep more healthy, if Jason Marshall can take the next step, and if Triquez Bridges comes in and, and contributes – as much or maybe a little bit more than Jadon Hill, along with Asa Turner 
and DJ Douglas and a, a bump in Jordan Castell, all of a sudden you could be talking about a defense that might be top five in the SEC. And a top five defense in the SEC is top 20 in the country. And all of a sudden you're talking about, hey, like Florida's got a real opportunity against this 2024 schedule. Whereas just looking at it in its face, you go, well, the last four years, it hasn't been that great. Why would it get much better? Well, one of the reasons it might get better is because we've got completely different players and those players are at a position that is critical to succeed in today's college football. Now, when you look at this, you're looking at this from the numbers perspective, but when you look at everything, Will, how do you factor in the fact that everything is connected on the field, right? So if one position group is weaker, that is going to impact another position group. And and I know know there's probably not an exact answer for this, just asking for your insight here. So if if you're getting weaker linebacker play, are are the safeties doing things to compensate for spots the linebackers should be in, for example? Like how how do you feel like that would impact? So in terms of the overall statistic in terms of the overall statistics, that definitely makes uh makes a difference. Um, but what PFF tries to do, and that's why I tried to use it, that's pro football focus, if I didn't say that earlier. What PFF tries to do is they try to they try to isolate, did this player do his job within the scheme that they understand it on that particular play? Mm-hmm. So if a safety comes up and misses a tackle, he's going to get a very he's going to get a very low grade, even if somebody comes over and helps make the tackle a yard further, right? So um, if a safety identifies a guy in the flat he's supposed to go after and he brings him down for a two-yard loss, okay, well, now he gets a great grade. And so if the defensive line doesn't get any pressure, the safety is not expected to hold up for seven seconds in coverage, right? If, if the defensive line or if, if the um, offensive line is just absolutely mauling the defensive line and the safety is getting mauled by an offensive tackle, that's certainly taken, taken into consideration. It's not perfect, but over the course of an 11 or 12 or 13 game season, those things start to average out. There's also some variability, right? Like Jordan Castell was at 75.9. He could go down to 72 this year, but I think having him like drop to 50 is a really unlikely circumstance. So what you can start to do is, is piece this together together. And, you know, look, you can actually see on defensive line on, on one of the charts they'll have in the article where Georgia has had the best defense and they got the best defensive line. And then it slowly starts to go down as you go through Alabama, A&M, Kentucky, Auburn, and Tennessee. And it does the same thing at edge a little bit though there it's, it's more stable linebacker. It does the exact same thing. And then safety, everybody is, is pretty good there at safety and corner, like I mentioned. So, to me, the back end is the thing that's critical. Those are the guys where they're doing their job consistently on defense. And uh, if you get that, then you can get a top five defense. So it's it's not like they're not intertwined. And certainly you might get a guy get hit down the sideline. But you also, if you're a corner, for instance, and there's a throw down the sideline, and it's a perfect throw by the by the quarterback, and you're in phase with the receiver, and the receiver just makes an awesome catch on a perfect throw by the quarterback, PFF doesn't necessarily penalize you for that. Other than you probably don't get the the elite grade on that one because if you'd have knocked it down, then they would have given you an elite grade. Um, but they're not going to give you like, oh, that's a negative play. It's like, no, like they made a perfect throw, a perfect catch, and you had perfect coverage. All right, you're going to get a pretty decent grade on that one. Yeah, well, so the, the article will be out uh, this week, probably by the time this episode's published uh, uh, for Stand Up and Holler, correct? So it'll be up on the website at readingreaction.com be sure to check out Will Miles latest work it's a good look into you know what's been going on with his defense and uh where Will feels like it can improve a little bit here uh let's move on here Russ Callaway we've talked about him for the last few weeks Will 
been a lot of questions, a lot of discussion around Billy Napier this offseason about what's he going to do with the offensive coordinator spot. Napier has been calling plays, and that's worked out well for him most of his coaching career. But with what's been going on in terms of some of the disorganization and everything the last few years, there's been a lot of chatter about this subject throughout the offseason. Uh, we've talked about it ourselves. I, I do think that is one area where Napier can significantly improve on game day. I, I, I think he does fine with calling plays. It's more of the rest of the operation needs that CEO look. I, I, I'm, I'm in that camp. Um, but it sounds like he's making some adjustments here. Russ Calloway, the tight ends coach, will serve as the co-offensive coordinator. Uh, Napier told uh, Napier was quoted this week. I pulled this quote specifically from SI Zach Goodall. Uh, Napier told the press, he's a guy that obviously is going to acquire more responsibility. How we define that, you know, I think that that will, I think that will work our way through that. So not a lot of insight from Napier there, but Callaway, a little background on him, 36 years old, entering his 14th year as an assistant. So he is young, but 14 years of experience at the college level. He's also coached with the Giants in the pro level as well. In 2021, he was an offensive analyst at LSU in 2020. But from 2016 through 2019, he served as Sanford's offensive coordinator. That's the Sanford Bulldogs who are coming to the swamp here in week two. Well, Sanford's offense during that time, in 2018, they led the FCS in passing yards per game with 392. Uh, they also ranked fourth in the F FCS in total offense overall, averaging over 515 yards per game. In 2017, the, the offense led the Southern Conference, the SOCON, and ranked fifth in the FCS in passing yards uh, per game. Uh, passing yards per game. So that's a good sign. Well, he's got he's definitely a guy even though he's a young coach he has experience several years experience as offensive coordinator at the fcs level and uh it, it looks like that offense popped off pretty good when he was in charge yeah i'm actually curious to hear your opinion on this like what what do you envision or what would you like to see in terms of callaway's role you know napier sort of left it out there as nebulous which allows us to dream a little bit yeah. what would you want to see it, like, you know, obviously we're not going to have eyes on it, but what would you want to see in terms of what he actually takes care of on a week to week basis in order to sort of maybe free up Napier for the types of stuff you're talking about? I would like just what you said there. I would like for Napier to be freed up. I would like for him to entrust the responsibility of being an offensive coordinator to somebody. So if it's Russ Calway, if Calway certainly has got a great resume, right? This seems to be a good choice. Young coach, invest in the guy. Uh, he could stick around for a couple of years. And if, if things go well, which, you know, you got DJ Lagway coming in, there's a chance you got, you, you've got the formula there. And, and Napier could still keep his, his fingerprints on the offense. Anytime, if there's a defensive coach, he's going to have the fingerprints on the defense and offensive coach. Napier's still going to have an influence there. But I think this seems to make the most sense. I would like to see that that Callaway gets the full responsibility. I'm not sure what the the holdup is in passing that off. I, I I I there feels like there's some resistance from Napier in giving this up entirely. I don't know if it's the pressure heading into the season. I don't know if he feels that Callaway is not totally aligned with his offense just yet because. They've worked together in the past. I believe they overlapped at Alabama for a little bit, but Callaway was a defensive analyst at Alabama, I believe. So there's 
a lot of nuance to Napier's offense. I'm sure that takes a, a couple years to learn, and maybe Napier's not totally comfortable in turning that over. That would that would have to be the case, I would think, if he's not ready to just pass it off. But I, I do think that Billy Napier wants to keep some level of control here. That I, I understand he's had past success with it. But I would like to see him go in a direction. And if if this is what we can get this year, if this is the biggest step we can get this year, well, where it's at least a step in the right direction, I'll take it. I'll take it for this season. But going forward, I really would like to see that uh, be something Napier considers, just passing it off entirely. So I, I am curious, how is this different than the fact that Rob Sale was the assistant coach slash offensive coordinator last year? You got Callaway, who's the assistant coach slash tight ends coach, and now they're starting to give him more responsibility. Is that a reflection on the fact that Sale is going to be more occupied with Darnell Stapleton having lost, having left for the Washington club? Um, is that a reflection that they didn't necessarily like the preparation work that Sale was doing? Um, is that a recognition that the offensive line wasn't as good as they wanted last year and they want Sale to focus on there? I don't know that those are any any real uh, – I don't know that we have any answers to any of those things, but it it, it is interesting to me that there have been – there are guys with titles – and they're talking about giving those responsibilities to other people, right? So you've got Sale, whose title says offensive coordinator, and you're giving some of those responsibilities to Callaway. We're going to talk a little bit. You got Austin Armstrong as defensive coordinator, and you got Ron Roberts as the head coach of the defense, whatever the hell that means. And, uh, you know, that overlap is interesting. Sometimes that can work really, really well. Um, but I am curious, you know, when you get into a room and you got Callaway Napier and Sale arguing about what they should be doing with a particular scheme or a particular down and distance and that sort of stuff, you know, you you mentioned all of the disconnects and all of sort of the 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 ugliness in terms of game day operation. Just having three guys in the room making that decision, does that help or does that hurt given uh, how, how does that go in any sort of other situation in life? Does that help or hurt in any other situation? Oh, we got three decision makers. No, I mean, I guess in this case, though, Napier's got the got the final authority. Right? There's clarity inside the building. I, I, I'm sure there has to be. I hope to God there is. But yeah, that's what I'll say. I hope. I hope there would be. Uh, you know, I whether or not they're disclosing to the public, that's fine. We're on the outside of the building. We don't we don't have the right to know everything. But I will say, will. There is a little bit of a missed opportunity here from a PR perspective. I think Napier needs to embrace a little PR this year. I think he needs to get people, he needs to show people a little more of the plan. If you're going to struggle on the field, you got to let people in a little bit. You got to win some hearts and minds this year. And I think these vague, like like you're saying, we're sitting here, we watch every movement of this program and we're like, we don't know. We we hope, we hope so. I, I, I don't know if that's going to suit serve Billy Napier well this season to have a, a lot of vagueness around things. I think if there's a clear direction and we know who's who and we know who's doing what, I, I do think that would serve him better overall. I've been talking for a month now about casting a vision. Actually, I've been talking for years about casting a vision, and that's what you're talking about. You're talking about making sure that everybody is in alignment with what's happening. And if that means you're making a, a change and you don't want to hurt your coach's feelings, well, it's kind of beyond that. You got to hurt their feelings and you got to make the change that you think is best for the ball club. And if that means giving up 
play calling duties, then fine. Now, look, I get it. They they don't want to give anybody an advantage that they that they you know don't have to give them. But I don't think if you um, actually delineate who's making the calls, you're giving anybody any sort of advantage. They're still going to run Napier's offense. It's not going to be much different the next year. I'm I'm breaking it down right now for our preseason magazine, trying to figure out. Um, you know, I figure out exactly what feature we want to, we want to point out, but, um, they're not, I mean, it's not like I got to sit there and go, Oh, it's going to be a completely different air raid system this year. It's like, no, it's the same stuff. It's going to be, how are you sequencing things? How are you using personnel? How are you attacking the different defenses that are out there? And to me, that's, uh, that can be a group endeavor. But it's okay to let that out of the bag. Like, who cares who's got what responsibility at this point? Like, pride's out the window, man. Time to survive in advance. Yeah, Cal- Callaway seems to have a good profile. And like I said, I'll take the step in the right direction. But we'll we'll see what the actual answer is on that. All right, Tyler Miles. Any relation, Will? Cousin Tyler. Cousin uh, Tyler. <laughs> no. Shout out to uh, that SEC podcast <laughs> with Mike, Mike and Shane. Uh, Got the cut going, throwing out the cousin thing, cousin no, Tyler but, Miles. Uh, but, if, but if cousin Tyler wants to stop off by my folks' place, I'm sure they'd uh, they'd give him a bed. It'd be, he'd, he'd be able to stay there for a little dinner. Mama Miles will make him some dinner. That's good. Hey, I tell you what, it'd be better than whatever he's eating there in the uh, in the training room. That's for sure. <laughs> so UF is promoting Tyler Miles to the head strength coach, uh, former strength coach at, at Duke and Miami previously. Uh, was hired by Florida in June as the director of player and athletic development, but will now serve as the head strength and conditioning coach after Fitzgerald departed for uh, Boston College. In addition, they're bringing back an old face. Jesse Ackerman will serve as the associate director of player performance. Uh, He previously did a stint at Florida 2012 through 2015 under Muschamp and McIlwain, but he moved up to the NFL with Dan Quinn, served with the Atlanta Falcons, eventually worked his way up to being the head strength coach for the Falcons. Uh, did a stop off working with the Army Rangers as well, Will. So this guy, this guy brings a a a serious amount of experience, not just from the college and the NFL ranks, but from the U.S. Army. So you're definitely getting a lot of knowledge with these two here coming in. And, and Ackerman, they're saying he'll serve as uh, a sounding board for miles. Uh, so, so it sounds like a good uh, relation. It sounds like that could be a positive for uh, miles here, but you know, once again, a little bit of sharing responsibilities. We're seeing that theme all over the place here. Yeah. Um, so I think in some ways this is, um, this is an admission that they screwed up when they first came in. Then they brought in Mark hockey when the players wanted Nick Savage to stay on from the previous staff. Um, now you've got Tyler Miles, who's somebody that the players wanted, and they brought him in, and then they brought in some support, um, likely because, look, I mean, hockey was somebody who had been with Napier for four years at Louisiana, who'd helped build the strength program at that program, very, very comfortable with him coming over, which is part of the reason why Savage didn't come over in the fir- or why Savage didn't stay in the first place. Now you got Tyler Miles, somebody that Napier is familiar with, but not necessarily um, the same way he was with hockey. And so you bring in some reinforcements to sort of, hey, make sure that we've got everything lined out the way we need it. And, I mean, let's be honest, Fitzgerald was being supported by Miles. And so now Miles needs somebody in that same support role that Miles was playing before that. So um, I, I think this is less shared responsibility and more filling a gap 
um, that they had. Certainly, they're getting a guy with a lot of experience behind Tyler Miles, which isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think this just comes down to defining roles, responsibilities, making sure everybody's clear on what they own, what they'll be held responsible for. And if you can do that successfully, the more good people you have, the better. Additionally, this week here, Sean Kelly will wrap up the show. Sean Kelly interviewed Ron Roberts on Gator Tales, the Gator Tales podcast. Uh, Kelly's uh, Kelly's got all kinds of guests on that show, so it's interesting to check in. Uh, Roberts, this situation, a, a similar situation here on the defense, brought in as the linebackers and uh, co-defensive coordinator that, like you said, the head coach of the defense are referring to him as. Even though Austin Armstrong will maintain the defensive coordinator position, will maintain play calling duties, it sounds like. Uh, but Roberts has a relationship with Napier from his Louisiana days, served as a defensive coordinator there under Napier. Uh, Armstrong and Roberts overlap for a season there. Uh, Armstrong was an assistant defensive line coach in 2018, while Roberts was the defensive coordinator. Uh, Roberts is most known for his ability to manufacture pressure, just like Armstrong, right? Similar, similar, uh, uh, traits there with Armstrong but overall in the interview Robert said he had tr- tremendous respect for how Napier does things and he's fortunate to be back with them uh, the familiarity with Napier system and how he wants things done was a big draw to him here in Gainesville uh, a couple years ago Roberts was in Baylor he he had left Louisiana to go to Baylor to be the defensive coordinator for Dave Aranda who actually had coached under Roberts previously and uh ended up winning the big 12 title with the bears. Uh, so he's had some good runs of success throughout his career. Ron Roberts is a little bit ups and downs throughout, but definitely some high points along the way. And it seems like a good voice, good bit of experience. And, and once again, you, you alluded to it earlier, a little bit of that that's the, that's the theme of the night here. We're seeing that shared responsibility. We're not totally sure what the split is there, but Armstrong remains in control. Roberts is supposed to be that sounding board. And so I'll ask you the same question I asked you on offense. Like, what do you want to see out of these two guys in terms of their shared responsibilities, what they should be doing, who's responsible for what? Like, in, in an ideal world, Nick, like, what are you looking for to say, yeah, Ron Roberts is responsible for this, or, yeah, Austin Armstrong really improved this year? Um, like, like, what is it that you would be looking for? How would you arrange it? Like, what do you think they're responsible for? Yeah, Rob, Roberts comes in coaching the linebackers. I, I would like to keep his focus there. And, and obviously, Armstrong uh, – second year defensive coordinator now at Florida. He's got that experience there to rely on if he needs it. But I, I, I'm a little vague on the titles, Will. I, I don't know if it's just a respect thing that you're calling him the co-defensive coordinator. I'm a little vague on that. I assume that means he's sitting down with Armstrong at least to make the final plan uh, and, and Armstrong's uh, picking his brain. I would assume there's also a good relationship there if Napier is going to make this move. You know, like you, I, I would like to think that the two of those guys can work pretty well together. <laughs> Napier's bringing in Roberts to do this, but I, I'm not sure how the last staff gelled. Will so he he brought Armstrong in, and it didn't sound like the last staff always fit together perfectly. And so we'll we'll see how this goes. But I would like to see Armstrong clearly in charge as the defensive coordinator, no questions asked. With with uh, Roberts being that good support system overall. Does this put added pressure on Armstrong though? 
Absolutely. If they give up, say, like 42 points against Miami in the opener, like, well, what it, what does it look like? You know, we, we lived through the Dan Mullen thing where you had Anthony Richardson behind Emory Jones and you had Todd Grantham as like the target of ire the entire season long. Like, are we sort of setting – is Napier kind of setting himself up for that here too if things go south early on? Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the quarterback looking over their shoulder type of thing, right? So I – you got a young defensive coordinator in Austin Armstrong. And again, I, I don't know the nature of Armstrong's relationship with Roberts. It would really depend if Roberts truly is, if he's a good mentor type figure to, to Armstrong and there's a good relationship there. I think this is, could be a real positive move. And I, I hope Napier would consider that and assess that. But if this is a, Hey buddy, <laughs> you're, you're on the hook here. And uh, if we don't get it, if we don't get it done quickly, uh, I'm, I'm going to pull this thing and we got the backup in place it could be perceived multiple ways, right? Yeah. I mean, so uh, <laughs> it didn't sound like Robert's tenure there at Auburn went, went great. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so that, that would be my concern is that you've got a guy who is going to a place where he's familiar, obviously with Napier, where he's got Napier's ear. Napier has had a year now with Austin Armstrong to sort of figure out um, what that relationship is going to look like. But, you know, if you got somebody where you got six, seven, eight years of history with, and then you got somebody you got one year of history with, and you bring in the guy with eight years of history, there's got to be some really clear communication to make sure that um, neither one of them feels threatened, right? Now, I think, in my opinion, it'd be really interesting to see. I suspect Roberts will probably be like up in the up in the press box, and then Armstrong will be down on the field. And so, maybe from an adjustments perspective, that would be something that Roberts would be bringing to the bringing to the fold is helping to figure out what adjustments we're going to make at halftime, those sorts of things. Um, but uh, and this one's I mean, just like all the shared responsibilities, it, it's one of those things. I can't remember who had the old the old quote where if you've got two quarter, if you've got two quarterbacks, you don't have any. And, uh, you know, I worry that that's sort of what's going on yeah. within the Florida staff. You got two defensive coordinators. You don't have any. You got two offensive coordinators. You don't have any and three offensive coordinators really at Florida now. And you got two two strength and conditioning coaches. You don't have any. You got two special teams coaches. You don't have any. And And it's possible that. You know, if you had one of those situations, I'd be like, okay, like you go in and you work, like you build that, you make sure that those relationships are strong and you can monitor it and all that sort of stuff. But Napier's got to kind of monitor it for his entire staff because he's got essentially someone who could be a backup at any time or who could be the the head guy at any time if he wanted to make a move, if things start to go south. And uh, that, that's a stressful place to be. I mean, even look at coach. the nature of the conversation tonight, right? It's a lot of speculation. We're doing a lot of speculation here, and that's the type. So while there are being, there there are, there are moves being made. It's leading almost to one question. Answers right now. So we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see how things play out. Uh, I think it's also February, too. It's February. We're talking. We're trying to have an in depth conversation on what this a new staff's going to look like. How it fits together here in February. So that's also that that might be a part of it as it, well. It, I'll take it, that into consideration. But it sort of goes it sort of goes to your point though, right? Of that you kind of alluded earlier to wanting Napier to pull back the curtain. And Roberts had an opportunity to do that in the in the in the interview with Kelly had he wanted to, to sort of pull back that curtain and talk about how they're gonna work together or talk about what his responsibilities are or why he thought that the Armstrong Roberts 
um, you know, combination would be stronger than just Armstrong alone or Roberts alone, right? Mm-hmm. You could you could start to have that conversation. There's an opportunity for the organization as a whole to do that from a PR perspective. And hopefully they'll take that tact as things go further along. But given what we've seen so far, I'm dubious that that'll be the case. I think what's going to happen is, is we're going to show up in August and we're going to see either improvement or not, or no improvement. And the reality is I'm not sure Gator fans will care whether it's Austin Armstrong or Ron Roberts fault. They'll just care that the defense has not improved. Now, Again, we talked about in the first segment, I think the defense is going to improve by virtue of they got better players at the positions that are critical, mm-hmm. and, and that's going to help things just in general. And it turns out when you've got better players, it's easier to coach, and uh, I think in many ways we'll see that too. So I don't necessarily think things are, th- things are going to go off the rails, but that schedule does have me looking at it going, you could, ha- you could have a team that plays way, way better this year. And the record would not reflect that because you got a couple of close one score losses in games where you play really well. You're not really ready for prime time when it comes to Georgia yet. And so how, and if Florida state happens to find their quarterback, okay, all of a sudden this could be a real problem. So um, yeah, be interesting to see how it goes. I mean, I, I'm actually, I'm very high on Ron Roberts as a coach. I I think the fact that the players were asking for Tyler Miles is great. And Callaway, certainly you went over his resume. Looks like he's got a really good resume coming in from Sanford. So all of those things in a vacuum, you look at and go, yeah, we're adding value to the staff. That's great. But obviously because of the incumbents who are already there, it does make us say, all right, who's responsible for what? And, uh, and does that put any added pressure on anybody? But, you know, given, given the way things have gone the last couple of years, I'm not sure any of these guys are around if the team has a really unsuccessful 2024 season, including Billy Napier, which means, um, you know, my guess is, is that they're going to have to get along if for no other reason, because if they don't, then none of them get, it's not a matter of who blames and who's here next year, right? If things go South, there isn't anybody here next year. And uh, you know, so you got to make sure that it works. One of the things you always heard about Nick Saban, from the people that work for him is there was never a question of what your job was. You were very clear on what your job and your responsibility, your responsibility was for, toward the team. I hope there's more clarity inside the building than there is outside of the building about all this right now. That's what I'll say about that. If, if I'm, and I'm sure there is, by the way, I don't doubt that there is, but I, from the outside, tough to tell. And that's what I, I, I actually, this is a little bit of a frustrating episode in that sense. Normally, Will and I, we like to provide some answers to things and some insights, but I think it is legitimate to look at these and, and ask the questions where the questions exist and, you know, explore them more as the offseason goes along. It's it's February right now. We're going to have all offseason to explore this stuff. And uh, I think the, you know, I, I think a little bit we're, we're getting the magazine together and we're thinking about what types of questions we're asking for the magazine too, Will. And I think these are legitimate questions to ask Henry Ford into the preseason. So um, we'll wrap up tonight. But before we go, Will, one more time with the magazine. Yeah. So like you said, we're working on how to formulate all of these different questions for the magazine, try to give some of those answers as things come along. Obviously the spring game will happen before the magazine comes out. So we'll have some answers there. Um, all the new roster additions, all of the, you had a really cool feature last year that looked at the recruiting maps. You, I'm sure you'll do that again. Um, I had a feature where we were actually diagramming plays and sort of saying, Hey, this is something to look out for. And that was actually kind of gratifying. So there were a couple of those concepts that did show up last year when, when we started actually watching the tape. So if you want to be somebody who sort of can, 
maybe get a little bit more information than what you're going to get from one of these preseason magazines, we'd appreciate it if you look for it in stores. Certainly, we will we will be announcing that here, announcing that on social, and announcing it to our mailing list when that happens. But if you're somebody who wants to advertise with us, somebody who thinks that sort of the um, you know what we consider a a um, what, what we consider, I don't want to use the word elite, but what we consider a um, premium product, right? Something where, hey, we, we think we're really adding value here from a, you're going to learn something if you get this magazine. If you're somebody who wants to advertise with that, something that'll sit on like a doctor's office or a dentist's chair or something like that for, you know, the four to six months from the time it comes out until the time the kickoff happens, um, reach out to me, will at readandreaction.com or at SEC on Twitter. We'll get you the media kit, get you the pricing, and uh, we can have a conversation about how best to make sure your name gets out there with, uh, with, with the other businesses that are advertising in the magazine as well. Yeah. We'd love to have a conversation with you. So reach out to will at readingreaction.com for more information. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining the show this week and go Gators. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to stand up and holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readingreaction.com. You can like, and subscribe our YouTube channel here at reading reaction or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information. And we do ask any things over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.